Well, good morning, family. Hello? Everybody there? You good? Do you think it made a difference that you came to church today for the kingdom and that we were here together? Amen. Come on. Come on. Just to remind you, if you're not aware of it, at when the service ends, we will be screening the match between South Africa and the Dragons, the Whales, in the minor auditorium. So if you want to enjoy that uh, here and get to the match quickly, then you just go to the minor auditorium. Can I just remind you that you, if you have children at C4G, you first need to go fetch them and then go watch the rugby. <laughs> We're not providing a babysitting service for that today. It's wonderful to see you all together today and uh, to be in this place. Um, it's wonderful just what God is doing in our community and just for the sense of the Spirit of God among us. Isn't it beautiful? And isn't it fantastic to, to experience that? And I want to thank and honor our service directors for tr being sensitive to the Holy Spirit and trying to, and steering us into the direction of where the Lord wants us to go. I, I really appreciate that. We are busy with our series, Arise, Shine where we are responding to the Lord's command to us, His instruction to arise in this time and to shine for the sake of His glory and for the kingdom. Last week, we, we ended uh, our message together at James 1 verse 19, and um, I, I want to just go there, and then I'm going to pick up from verse 21, and I'm really going to focus time on verse 21. But if you'll just give me a moment, let me just say something about James 1 verse 19 to 20. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Please remember, brothers and sisters, that James is writing to is a messianic community of believers that are now finding themselves in a very difficult place where they are being socially and economically disadvantaged because of their faith. They're experiencing their own Jewish community, their family, their friends, turning against them, ostracizing them, starting to speak bad of them, and then also they're experiencing some of them that their finances are taking a hit, some of their businesses are struggling, they are not able to make the income that they used to because they are followers of the Lord Jesus. And it's to these people that James writes the following, take note of this, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Can I ask you to say these words with me? Quick, slow, slow. Say this again. Quick, slow, slow. Can we say it again? Quick, slow, slow. The rhythm of wisdom sounds like this. Quick, slow, slow. And I remind you that in particularly in the light of what happened in our nation over social media this past week. Now, I'm not going to say what I'm talking about. If you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about, which everybody should know. That something happened in our nation there in the northern part of Natal, and it caused an outrage among Christian communities and people. But it disturbed me as it happened because I didn't recognize the, the rhythm of wisdom. I didn't recognize the rhythm of quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. What I did recognize was a rhythm of quick to speak, quick to become angry, and slow to listen. And uh, I was so thankful that these words of James were so fresh in my mind that when, I think it was Tuesday morning as I started becoming aware of the stuff going on and all the posts and people were sharing everything, these words immediately came to me. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. So I thought instead of just getting caught up, let me try and have some communication with people on the ground 
there. And I, one of the pastors, Pastor Trudy, helped me, and we found a connection with the pastor in that area and started just communicating with him to try and understand what is going on, what is really going on. And he sent me a lot of information because my heart really broke for that community, the school, the community of that town, and the church in that week was, was now experiencing a, a thing that was dividing them, plus then on top of it, all this pressure from everywhere else. And people were quick to speak. And I don't want to say too much about it, and I think it's a complex situation, and surely there were things that needed to be spoken about and that could have been done differently and, and, and all of that. But can I just ask you, we live in a day and age where slow to speak, slow to become angry, and being quick to listen is becoming scarcer and scarcer and scarcer. We live in this social media age where everybody is wanting to be quick to speak, quick to become angry, and very slow to listen. And I want to ask us as the church of the Lord Jesus, can we remember James's words and be quick to listen? He was saying this in the context of a communities of faith that were experiencing people turning against them and speaking bad about them. People that were threatening them. People that were taking their livelihoods away from them. They were really substantively threatened as a community. And in the light of that, he says to them, be quick to listen. Listen. Listen even to these people that are turning against you. Listen. Listen to the voice of the Lord. Listen to his heart. Be quick to listen. And then once you've listened, once you've gathered the truth, once you've gained understanding about what's really going on, even then, be slow to speak. Be slow to speak. And then, be slow to anger. There are times when we need to get angry. I mean, he writes and he says, you know, be angry but do not sin. There's times then when things should get us angry. I got angry this week, but for some different reasons. But I want to remind us of what the rest of verse 20 says. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. To you community that are being ostracized, that are being persecuted and, and, and financially struggling because of what people do to you, I want to remind you that your anger will not produce that which is right and just and will bring glory to God. If you are not consistent with what God's word says. So can you say again with me, quick, slow, slow. It's what the sound of the rhythm of wisdom sounds like. Good a good advice for a marriage, good advice for neighbors, good advice for co-workers, good advice for all of us. Quick, slow, slow. Let us be of a different nature in this time. Is that okay? Now I would like to go to James 1 verse 21. Fantastic verse. I've been so impressed with this verse, and I felt so strengthened and encouraged by this verse. Um, and let me just read it to you in James 1 verse 21. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Now, I have the privilege to have had some Greek training, so I can read a little bit in the Greek. I've forgotten a lot of it. 
But I was even able to contact uh, my old Greek professor this week and ask him, or lecturer, to ask him just to help me understand this, because this is a very interesting scripture in the Greek. There's actually a word in here that is no, used nowhere else in the New Testament. But I'll make some comment about that just now. But James says, therefore, who's he writing to? Who's he speaking to when he says, therefore? Is he speaking to a body of believers? Is he speaking to Christians? Is he speaking to people that have given their hearts to Jesus, that are followers of Christ, that are disciples of Christ, people that we would say they are born again? Or is he speaking to people that are unbelievers, non-believers that don't know Jesus? Who's he speaking to? Now, if you've listened over the last couple of weeks, that shouldn't be difficult to answer. He's speaking to a messianic community. In other words, he's speaking to people that are followers of Christ. He could be saying to you and me, as a church gathered here today to worship Jesus, he could be speaking this to us, the believers, the followers of Christ. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth. Get rid of all moral filth. That's an interesting thing to say to a group of Christians and believers. Get rid of all moral filth, particularly in the language that he uses. Get rid of all moral filth. Strong words. No sugarcoating. No covering it up. No nice words. No get rid of the unfortunate mistakes you make every now and then. Get rid of your unintentional just slipping up every now and then. No, get rid of all moral filth. How would you feel this morning as a community of faith, as Christian people that have come here today because you love Jesus, to worship Jesus, if I say to you, get rid of all moral filth? But this is what he does. He speaks to a community of believers and he says, get rid of all moral filth. If he said these words so strongly to a non-believing community, people that were living according to their fleshly desires, I I could feel a little bit more comfortable with it. But saying this to Christian good people, people like you sitting here all dressed nicely, sitting in rows, I mean, you all look like saints at the moment. You all look like people that, this, you know, you just read your Bible all day long and pray and just share Jesus with everybody. You know, you're like Francis of Assisi, the birds speak to you, you're so holy. And, I mean, this is what you look like, but to you, James says, get rid of all moral filth. Wow, that's tough. Now, how can he say that to us? Well, let me first of all say, it wouldn't be possible to say this to a group of unbelievers because they cannot ultimately get rid of moral filth. Because we have been born again. We have changed. A new nature has been given to us. But when we bowed our knees before the Lord Jesus and we said, Lord, I'm a sinner in need of salvation. I cannot change myself. I recognize my desire for sin. Remember last week I spoke about desire. I recognize, Lord, how I get tempted and, and how I get lured into the tricks of the enemy and my desires within me that burns and rages. I recognize that, Lord. But I come to you and I say, Lord, forgive me for my sin and wash me with your blood, something changes. Amen? The, the great preacher, George Whitfield, that uh, preached from England into the United States during the 18th century Great Awakening. He crossed the Atlantic Ocean 13 times. His favorite message that he preached almost always as he went into those, and remember crossing the Atlantic those days with, with a sailboat. 
And then he would climb over onto the, in the United States and get on a horse and ride from town to town. And in almost every town, in every little church, or in every city, in every hall, he preached John 3, verse 3, you must be born again. He preached it over 3,000 times. Over those days, he would ride on his horse, and he would go to a town, and he would say, you must be born again. Then he would go and preach at a factory, and he would say, you must be born again. And it became his famous message everywhere he went. John 3, verse 3, when, when Nicodemus asked Jesus, how must I inherit the kingdom? Jesus said, you cannot inherit the kingdom unless you're born again. And one day somebody came and said, Mr. Whitfield, why do you always preach you must be born again? And his answer was, because you must be born again. <laughs> Amen? You must be born again. You must come to that place where you recognize that you cannot live that you cannot be good enough, you cannot be holy, you cannot be righteous, you cannot be a good person unless you get born again. But when we're born again, what does 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 say? For I'm a new creation, a brand new man. All things have passed away. Behold, I am born again. I'm new. I stand before you here today, a holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy different person that I was before I got born again. Did I spell that correctly? Why are you laughing at me, Pam? Did I get it wrong? I can get it wrong. That's okay. I am a completely different person than I was before I got born again. I have the possibility now to not sin. The nature of God is in me. Before I got born again, I had, the, the scripture says, I was a slave to sin, Paul writes in in Romans 6, 7, and 8. I was a slave to sin. I couldn't help myself. I had this burning desire to sin. But then I got born again, and now I have a different desire in me. I have a de desire in me to love God, to be His servant, to live my life holy for Him. And every day that I live, that desire within me grows to love Him more. It is only to a group of people like us that the preacher can say, get rid of all moral filth. Because it's possible for us to get rid of all moral filth. It's possible for you. And it's important here that James uses such difficult language because it tells us his perspective on sin, that there's nothing good in sin. It is filth. It is filth. As a person who has been cleansed by the blood of Christ, I should want nothing to do with sin because I now have the contrast. You see, before I got saved, sin and righteousness got confused for me. They, they sometimes looked so similar. They, 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 I didn't quite know what, which one was which. But now that I've gazed upon the holiness of God and that I've seen how wonderful and majestic and how great our God is, I have something that I look at that goes, wow, everything that is different is filthy and terrible. Because he is so good and so holy and so beautiful. I can see sin for what it really is. I can see how terrible it is. The first place I see it is here inside of me. So let me personalize this for me. James says to me, Louis, get rid of all moral filth. Get rid of all moral filth. In this time where you are under trials. Remember last week I said trials 
when the pressure is on us, when they are being put on us, these, these, these stresses of, of standing for what we believe, trials can produce in us a, 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 a more willingness to give in to temptation because it's hard. In this time where it may be that you want to step out and do things because you feel the pressure of your family not having food. Perhaps you feel more tempted than you would normally feel to go and do something just to get food for your family. He says, in this time, get rid of all moral. Don't give in to the temptation. Don't rise in the fly fishing illustration. Don't rise for the lies, the lures of the enemy, the, the false truths, the half-truths. Don't rise for that. Get rid of the temptation. Separate yourself from it. Move away from it. And it's possible. You see, we, we live in times, let's, let's take what James says and let's bring it into our space a little bit. We live in a nation right now where our economic growth is going backwards. There's not a family in this church, basically, there would be a few exceptions. But for most of us, we have less money now than we had last year this time. Our income is shrinking. Our nation's GDP is going backwards. We are, we are not becoming wealthier. We are becoming poorer. And that puts pressure on all of us. It puts on us the pressure of what am I going to do? How am I going to pay for my children's education? How am I going to feed? How am I going to cover my medical expenses? How am I going to do all of this? And, and we feel it. I mean, we feel it as a family. And when that pressure is on us, there's temptations that pop out of those moments of trial. And can I tell you what's one of the temptations I have to face is to say, Lord, am I going to just cut a few things away from my generosity? Am I going to stop being generous? Am I going to stop paying my tithe? Am I going to stop giving my offerings? Am I going to stop helping where I feel you lead me to help? I'm being tempted. I'll be honest with you, I'm being tempted. I'm sitting right now with my family's budget and I'm starting to do homework and to say, how am I going to deal with things? And there's a temptation when I look at my line items on my budget to say, well, if I just give a little bit less here, yes, I'm so sorry, Lord, I, I gave such a number for faith promise. You know, perhaps I can phone the office and just ask them to understand. I won't do it, Pam. So, you know, Brian, it's okay. Because it's faith. I need to trust the Lord. But how many of you feel that pressure? But I remember as I was wrestling with this, even in myself, I remember the words of Paul to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8. He says, he says to them, but God who is faithful to provide seed for the farmer and then bread to the baker will be faithful and provide for you. And the word of the Lord in this time to me and that I experience is the Lord saying, don't eat your seed. Because seed needs to be planted so that bread can be produced. If you eat your seed today, then it won't be long and you'll have no bread left. Keep on planting your seed. But I know the temptation. And it may be in other areas where you're just feeling tempted because of the pressure. It's in those spaces I need to be reminded to get rid of my pride, my self-reliance, my tendency to put myself first, my fear of financial ruin. All of those things are moral filth. I need to come and say, Lord, help me not to give in to that. You see, because 
This is what happens as a believer. I have the child of God, or the son of God. Sorry, forgive me for saying that wrong. I have the son of God living inside of me by the Spirit. And this is why the title of today's message is Shine Because You Are Brilliant. I'm not brilliant, but the one who lives within me is brilliant. The new nature that I have, this newness that I have, that I have the, the life of Christ within me, that I have the mind of Christ, that Paul says, I'm no longer a slave to sin, but a slave to righteousness. I want to do what is right. This is what shines through me as a believer, and this is the brilliance that I have. But if I allow moral filth into my life, then the words he uses in the Greek here, James, is I put on a coat over my brilliance of filth, a stained coat, a smelly coat, a heavy coat, a scratchy coat, I put over. And as I, if I put that coat on and I allow myself to live in that coat, the brilliance is obscured. And this creates a big problem. You see, because when an unsaved person does sin. They're just consistent with their own nature. But when a saved person gives in to moral filth, we are being inconsistent with our own nature. And we create a problem. And the, the scripture talks about hypocrisy and things like that. But this is what happens. I put on this moral filth. Now James says to me, Louis, put off all moral filth. So now I read that scripture and I feel the conviction of the Lord on my life. The Spirit of God speaks to me and He shows me, He reveals to me certain areas in my life where I have just strayed, where I've allowed things into my mind and into my heart, where I've done some actions that is not consistent with my new nature, with the, who Jesus is. And He says to me, put that off. So, so then I say, Lord, I'm so sorry, forgive me. And I take off this Put off the moral filth. But I'll be honest with you, what I do sometimes when the Lord does that with me is I find a little bit of a scapegoat for myself. I just find a little bit of an excuse and I go, well, you know, I really tried, but I'm just a human being after all. So, you know, I, you know, you, I, I really will try hard, Lord, but, you know, it's just who I am. It's, it's, it's my mother's fault. She, you know, she... She didn't raise me right. Or, you know, it's my neighbor's fault. If they just would just not let their tree hang over into my yard, I wouldn't have to be so unkind to them. Or it's the taxi driver's fault. Or, you know, it's the government's fault. Or it's my husband's fault. It's never my wife's fault, but it's my husband's fault. Or, or whatever it may, you know, I, I find some reason to, to deflect it from me, just like Adam and Eve did in the garden. I just, I just sort of say, well, you know, I just, I, I suppress it. I hide it away a little bit. But am I really am I putting it off? No. I, I'm putting it down, but not putting it off. Or perhaps I feel even a little bit more convicted than that. So what I do is I say, okay, Lord, just really forgive me for my sin. I'm so sorry that I, I did that. So I'm, I'm just going to hang it over there. It's not me, Lord. It's... It's that. It's not my fault. And I separate myself from it, but I, but I hang it here. Because just now, perhaps I need, a, I need it again. You know, I'm going to try and do better, but, but if I fail and if I don't get it right, then, then, you know, 
I can at least blame something for it. I, I, I just... Or perhaps I go to a space and I, 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 I get even more convicted. So I go, oh, I'm so sorry for my sin, Lord. So, so I'm, gonna, I'm just going to fold this up. And, uh, you know, I'm just going to put it away. I don't know if the camera is going to follow me. Jack, can I ask you, just, or, or Gerben, just put that in that drawer over there. There's a drawer. Just put it in there. I'm, you know, I'm so sorry for my sin. So I just move it away. But I put it in the drawer there. I just leave it there. Because I know I'm going to fail one day again. And I know I'm going to get it right. I, I know, you know, I'm weak. I know the circumstances. I know the struggles I have. So, so let me, just, let me just, yeah, just put it there. Let me ask you this question. If you've been in prison for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, and you know in South Africa they wear that orange jumpsuits, I think, with Department of Corrections written on it. Ne, William, is a great. So imagine you've lived in that jumpsuit for 15, 20 years. And now comes the day that you get let out of prison. And as you walk out, how many prisoners do you think take their, their prison jumpsuit home with them, fold it up, and put it in the bottom drawer just in case I need it someday again? How many of you know that if a prisoner does that, it's very likely that they're going to go back to prison soon? How many of you know that a prisoner that's been in that place and never wants to go back doesn't even take the suit home with him? He gives it back to the Department of Corrections and says, this is not mine. But it's how we deal with sin. Gerben, can I have my coat back, please? Thank you very much. I'm not saying Gerben is the tempter or anything, but just, you know. But this is the relationship we have. In some or other way, we as Christians can get to this place where we just want to keep this around. But can I tell you, the Lord Jesus died on a cross, a horrible death, beaten, beard plucked from his face, beaten beyond recognition, a crown of thorns stuck on his head. He died on that cross. I don't think he died so that I could stand before him and go, thank you for forgiving my sin, and now I can just carry on sinning. How many of you think that that would be horrible? Would you feel comfortable to stand before Jesus hanging on that cross, bleeding, feeling all the pain, and say, thank you, Jesus, that you died for me so that my sin can no longer be held against me so that I can keep on doing what I want to? I don't think that's what he did. He died on that cross to give me a new nature, to forgive me my sin, so that I can enter the journey of discipleship and that this coat, and that's why he writes James 1, he, uh, verse 21, he says, and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, that every day that I live with the word, every day the spirit of God is within me. Remember now, the word and the spirit lives in me, and when I use the word of God, and I read the word, and I, and I focus on the word as the scripture, but as the spirit of God, then every day he renews me day by day. But there's only one way that you deal with this coat. There came a day where Jesus was taken outside of the city to what was Jerusalem's rubbish heap. And he took my sin on that cross on Golgotha. 
both my sin here, but also this. So that I can today say, Lord Jesus, I'm so thankful that you've forgiven me of my sin. And I can put this in here. And I can put this bag, I hope I'm not going to, and kick it to the curb so that it can be taken away. I want nothing to do with that anymore. I don't want that smelly, stinky coat on my life. That is my motivation. That's the setting of my heart. Now, will I sin again? Yes, for sure. John says, if you say you do not sin, you're a liar. Will I sin again? Yes, because I'm still on this process. And that's why James says, which can save you, future tense. I have been saved by the blood of Christ on the cross. But in my life, I am being saved every day from the effects and the sin of the evil of sin, the filthiness. I'm being saved every day. I'm being renewed, made new. That's why this word, which only comes in this place once in the Greek, planted in you, emphatos, is a word that means it becomes your new nature. It's innate. It becomes who you are. This new nature of wanting to please God, wanting to love Him, wanting to be in right standing with Him becomes my new nature. And as I live in that, every day I'm being transformed because I can put off every time I recognize sin in my life. I put that sin and I say, thank you, Lord. Take it away from me. I don't want to keep it around because it stinks. It's horrible. Why would I want it? I'm going to end. Worship team, you guys can join me. James 1 verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. As a child of God with the spirit of God within me, what James tells me is I have the word which is the gospel of truth, the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And when I bow to it, it's the language in the Greek is to bow. If I bow to that word and I look intently on it, it will show me who I really am. It will first show me how ugly I am. And if I allow that word to imprint on me the ugliness of my life and not put the mirror down and then carry on and go... It's not that bad. I'm not that ugly. And, and when I smell that dirty smell of sin and when I see the ugliness of sin, I forget how the word showed me. I forget the, the contrast of the word. I forget the holiness of the word and I go, ah, it's not that bad. Surely God understands. When I do that, I'm living inconsistent with the word. I forget. But if I live my life daily, intent, saying, Lord, Help me to be your child. Then the word transforms me. Now as a child of God, Romans 8 verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation. When I sin, and I will sin, probably this week, I'll sin. I'll be tempted if the Springboks don't win today. I'll be tempted. <laughs> but you know when I sin, that sin no longer leads me to condemnation. It does not reject me, remove me from God because I am one with him in covenant. The blood of Jesus has secured. I am a child of his, my, I am secure in him. But let me not be fooled and think that when I do that sin, it has no effect on me. I'm putting on that filthy 
And when the Spirit of God in me smells that filthy garment, He's going to convict me, not condemn me, but convict me of that because He loves me and He would not want me to have that rubbish in my life. So He says, get rid of it. How do I get rid of my sin? I confess. Confess means to see it the way God sees it, to call it what God calls it, to come to God and say, Lord, I see the ugliness of this in my life. I want nothing to do with it. And then I repent. I say, Lord, forgive me for my sin. Bring your spirit into my life so that I can turn away from this and never do it again. If I do it again, Lord, I'm going to stand up and ask you again to forgive me and again work hard with you by your power of your spirit to not do it again. But I don't want to give in to this anymore. I want you to stand with me. Can I first of all speak to you that are born again and say these words to you? Put aside all moral filth. If this morning as I'm speaking or as I'm praying now, the Holy Spirit comes and says to you, you have taken on something in your life. It can be a thought pattern, an attitude, a habit, and anything. If you have put on something on your life, today is the day to kick it to the curb in the intention of your heart. To ask the Spirit of God. To say, Lord, I want to be removed from this. I know it will be a difficult journey. I know it may take a while for me to really get this out. But this is my desire, Lord. If you feel the Spirit of God this morning stirring in your heart. Just, just bring that to Him right now. If there's something the Holy Spirit is saying to you, you need to deal with this. Can I ask you to visualize that thing? Put it in that black bag. That black bag for me represents the life, the death of Jesus and His resurrection. Say, Lord, thank you that you have given me a way out. And I put it there and I throw it to you. Forgive me for keeping this around me. Forgive me for keeping this on my Somewhere in my house, forgive me for finding a place to put it in a drawer. I don't want it, Lord. Holy Spirit, I pray right now for the power of conviction that you love us. Come, Lord Jesus. And as you're just busy with the Holy Spirit, can I speak to the second group of people? If you are here today and you've not born, you're not born again, you've never given your heart to Jesus, you've never said, Lord, come. Change me. Make me new. If you've tried to be a good person in your own strength, then today I'd like to pray with you and give you an opportunity to come and to allow the Spirit of God to do a new work within you. So can I ask everybody in this place, just raise your hands. Let's raise our hands before the Lord. Say, Lord, here I am. Lord, I thank you that you love us so much. That you don't beat around the bush, you don't mince words. Because you love us and because you are holy and because Jesus died, you have earned the right, Lord. You have every right to be so honest with us. And we thank you for that. We appreciate it. I pray for every person that feels a conviction of the Spirit right now. I resist any condemnation from the enemy. I take authority over the lies of the evil one. But Lord, I praise you for freedom that we can have in Christ Jesus. I bind the works of the enemy in any person's life right now in Jesus' name. Thank you that the blood of Christ is complete. We need nothing else but the blood of Christ. Set us free, Lord, we pray.
just say these words to the Lord. Set me free, Lord. Thank you, Father, that you have saved me, that you are busy saving me every day because of what you've done on the cross. I thank you, Father. I thank you right now for the power of sin to be broken over our lives. And then I pray for people, Lord, that are, have not come into faith, have not got a relationship with you, have not given their lives to Jesus. And I pray right now that by your Spirit you would help them to make that decision now to say, I want to be born again. I want to be a child of God. And I want to invite you, if you want to pray that prayer, that you come to the front this morning. If you want to say, I want to be born again, then Pastor Cicely is going to be on my right here, on your left. And if you come down, just come and stand on my right. And they will help you and pray with you and help you just to come to this place of saying, Lord, thank you that you save me. If you need prayer for anything else, please come. Let us pray with you. The rugby's starting. So if you want to go and watch that, please enjoy it. Remember to first get your children. But here we're going to be praying for people and we want to trust God for a new thing in our lives and for freedom from sin. May the Lord bless you. May His face shine upon you. May He give you grace in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.